This Athletic Podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app. So you can bet on multiple scenarios and build your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. It's for over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hi there, thanks for tuning in to this week's Zonal Marking Podcast. Uh, I'm Ali Maxwell. Bit of a different topic this week with European competitions entering the knockout rounds. We wanted to dig a bit deeper, give the zonal marking treatment onto a topic that often generates quite a lot of discussion at this time of year, potentially sometimes lacking context, balance, and sometimes depth as well. Today, we're going to be looking at the away goals rule. We want to find out the why and the when, its impact, uh, its pros and cons, and work out if it is indeed the right thing to have a place in our knockout football competitions. Some of you may never have thought about this in any great depth. Some of you might have picked a side almost on a whim and, and stuck with it in case the discussion arises at work or in the pub. Most of you will have celebrated away goals after a win for your team or bemoaned it after a defeat. Uh, Omar Chowdhury from 21st Club is here to talk us through it. Hi, Omar. Hi, thanks for having me. You have one of the coolest job titles in the world, and I'm sure I'm not the first person to say it, Head of Football Intelligence at 21st Club. Could you explain a little bit about the work that you do? Yeah, so I lead up the intelligence team at 21st Club, which essentially is the analytics and division in the business. So we try and help leagues, associations, teams with mid to long term decision making. And we do that through crunching the numbers and trying to work out an objective way forward. Michael, I think Omar knows more about football than you do. Yeah, I mean, he's the perfect person to come on and chat about something like this away goals rule because, uh, yeah, some of the, you know, evidence and uh, discussion can be quite statistical and quite uh, in-depth. But, yeah, Omar and some other people at 21st Club are really good at uh, putting out blog articles that explain this kind of thing concisely and have a good summary for it. So let's hope for more of the same, Omar. I own two of the three published books by 21st Club. I'm just waiting for the latest one, just to drop in price a little, Omar, before I, uh, before I get on that. Um, that was Michael Cox. He's, of course, here to the podcast, named after his own uh, blog and The Athletics. Excellent tactics, tactical trends, etc. Uh, writer. We're going to start with some history. Omar, I don't know this, but I would like to know, when was the away goals rule brought in and why? Yeah, so it was brought in in the, in the mid-60s and, and the catalyst for it was uh, a Liverpool cologne tie in the, in the European Cup in 1965. 
Um, and back then they didn't have penalty shootouts. So the way you decided two-legged encounters was you'd play the two legs, whoever scored the most goals over two was through. And if you didn't, if you was tied, then you'd go to a replay. Play again. Play it again. And, and that's what happened with Liverpool and Cologne. So they actually drew the two legs nil-nil, uh, then played a game at a neutral venue in Rotterdam, drew that two all. Liverpool threw away a, a two-nil lead. Uh, then, so 270 minutes of football, hadn't, couldn't separate the teams, then played 30 minutes of extra time on a really boggy pitch, <laughs> um, still couldn't be separated. Uh, and so the way of splitting teams at the time was using a coin toss. Uh, and the story goes that actually they had to do the coin toss twice because the first time it landed in a divot, it wasn't decisively heads or tails. So they had to do it again. I think Liverpool called tails, won the coin toss and were through to the semi-finals, um, which if you think about it today, it's just kind of a remarkable sequence of events. And at least someone at that stage thought to themselves, this isn't quite right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And again, this is pre-penalty shootout, which we kind of take as take as a given now. Um, and so it was introduced, I think, for the early rounds of, of tournaments in the following years in European tournaments and then implemented in full in the kind of late um, 60s uh, from there. Michael, coin tosses were a bit of a feature of 1960s football I mean it doesn't feel that long ago but that was the way it was done it, sometimes in quite ridiculous circumstances yeah I think the European Championships of 1968 is a good example here of course there's no away goals possibility because this was a you know technically a neutral venue although ironically was Italy who benefited from it but yeah this was a four-team tournament and in the semi-finals it was Italy nil Soviet Union nil so after extra time, they tossed a coin and Italy went through where they then won the final after a replay. So this was quite a bizarre European Championships for many reasons. So, Omar, it's implemented in full in the European Cup 1968-69. The first beneficiaries were Honved, advancing in the Cup Winners Cup at the expense of Dukla Prague after a four-all draw on aggregate. In terms of, of the reasoning, the rationale, you've touched on it there, but there is perhaps... In hindsight, uh, an assumption, I think, from some that this was about encouraging more entertaining football, making it a better product. Uh, but that wasn't really the case. We're looking at a tiebreaker, essentially, a way of deciding football matches. Yeah, exactly. I think um, we now talk about it as a rule to encourage away teams to attack, but it was to split teams and there was no other way of doing it at the time. And, and so... I think UEFA at the time were probably thinking we can kill two birds with one stone here, where European football is really tough to play away from home. You're having to travel, uh, go to new environments. Remember, they weren't travelling first class or anything like that back in the day. So um, they probably thought, well, we need a tiebreaker and we can maybe reduce home advantage or encourage away teams to go forward a little bit more. And it seemed like a perfectly reasonable rationale, I think, at the time. And, and it's probably no surprise. It's probably when you think about the circumstances and what they were dealing with with coin tosses, it probably seemed like a pretty reasonable approach. We're going to get into what you think about the iteration of the rule that we have in place now. But in terms of its introduction, uh, Michael, talk to me about its initial impact in terms of, of establishing itself as a rule in, in European football competitions. Yeah, I guess it made sense back then because there was so much more of a challenge with playing away from home, particularly in Europe. You know, you were going to countries that, you know, perhaps the players weren't even sure where they are. Away travel was... Uh, you know, air travel was was pretty expensive. It wasn't particularly pleasant. You weren't sure the hotels you were going to stay in. The atmospheres were more hostile. It was just very difficult to play away from home in Europe in those days. Um, I mean, the interesting thing, and Omar sent us some stats over our way before this podcast, but I was surprised to learn, as someone who likes the away goal rule, that the statistics in terms of goals scored for away teams hasn't actually 
or didn't actually increase by that much after the introduction. No, I mean, it, was, it happened during an interesting period, actually, in, in world football where goals per game were coming down anyway. So you had this, I mean, Michael will be able to speak a lot more about this, but the obviously change in tactics and change in rules that brought goals per game down. And so if you look at the 10 years previous to the rule introduction and the 10 years after, um, there was no difference in the ratio between home and away goals. They actually both fell by about 20%. And certainly away goals didn't increase after the away goals rule introduction. So despite kind of a perfectly reasonable rationale of introducing the away goals rule, it doesn't seem to have changed any behaviours. And, and I'm actually a little bit surprised actually looking at the numbers that the rules weren't changed kind of five or 10 years on because they realised that, you know, it wasn't having the impact that it had. But I mean, we'll get into this, but it's probably had a couple of maybe unintended consequences that you could argue either way have been good or bad for, for the sport. And Omar, part of the, the reason for its introduction or for the logic behind it was that there was this real home advantage and the flip side being disadvantage away from home. Uh, has that always been maintained? Yeah, that's fallen over that time period as well. So it was beginning to fall slightly in the period around the away goals rule change, but then it's really come down since the 70s or so. And, and it's come down not just in European competition. So the away goals rule can't really account for the decline in home advantage. It's happened in domestic competitions in domestic leagues. So um, it's been changing. And, and I think that as a consequence, a lot of people raise the question whether it's still suitable for uh, for modern football when home teams win around, say, 45% of the time, whereas they used to win 60, 65% of the time in um, in European and domestic football. I want to look at some of the regular criticisms of the away goals rule, and it is something that really gets people's backs up uh, at times. I've got a few statements written down that I want to put to you guys, and I'd like to hear your responses, your rebuttals, I suppose. Uh, Gary Lineker, when Manchester City went out on away goals to Monaco in 2017, an absolutely incredible tie. Mbappe and Falcao, I seem to remember, doing the business for Monaco. Gary Lineker said, whether it comes into play here or not, the away goal rule sucks. No goal should be of greater value than another. What say you, Michael? I mean, I really think this is the whole fun of the away goals rule. I think it creates a slightly different tactical situation. I think the fact that in any situation in a two-legged tie, one goal does mean more at one end than the other really brings the whole intrigue to it. I think to a certain extent it's what differentiates it from league football or domestic cup football. And I think that people tend to kind of pick and choose when that ruins two-legged ties. And there are some situations where one goal can kind of kill a tie a little bit early. But on the flip side, I think there's just as many examples of where a side seem out of it and get a goal that is worth more than 1.0 goals and suddenly reignites the tie. So, I mean, that was a, a fantastic tie, as you say, a four-all. So that was a strange tie, I think, to choose that uh, particular criticism. Yeah, I suppose this is the bit where I come out as, a, as an away goals rule supporter. And kind of <laughs> An ultra. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and rebut that point. I mean, the, the idea that every goal in football should have the same value is inconsistent with what we see even in league football so an equaliser is worth one point and a winner is worth a marginal two points so even there you've got an inconsistency as the value of a goal and I mean, Gary Lineker if he's listening in would probably hate the fact that I'd point out that Leicester City won the league despite scoring fewer than Spurs and conceding more than Spurs and they accumulated more points in, in 2015-16 but they scored fewer and, and conceded more and therefore their goals had a greater value than Spurs' goals so you see this consistently in in league football that not no two goals have the same value and and, and the idea that 
that should be the case even in in a two-legged tie um it doesn't doesn't really isn't really consistent with what we see okay another thing that people say is the away goals rule actually encourages negative football especially in first legs where both teams are often happy with a nil all draw does that stack up yeah so this is where you can really bring the numbers out and you you can't really argue with them to be honest so if you look at first legs particularly in in the Champions League, what you see is that they're drawn nil-nil about 10% of the time. And that's pretty consistent with what you'd expect based on the level of teams um, that are playing. So if you look at Champions League group stage matches between first and second place teams, then those games are generally drawn nil-nil um, about 10% of the time. So yes, there are occasions where you see nil-nils. And there's a lot of confirmation bias, I think, with the away goals rule, where something that you don't like about it, you see it take place and you go, well, that's that's a reason not to like it. Whereas actually the vast majority of times, you know, the games remain normal, if you like. I also think that one, there's nothing wrong with the nil-nil in the first leg because it means the tie is evenly balanced going to the second leg. And I do quite like there's there's this funny debate with a nil-nil in the first leg about who's got the upper hand. And again, this is something you could probably use stats to to suggest historical trends. But sometimes the away team comes away thinking, you know, we've got a draw away from home, that's fine. And then there's something in the back of their mind thinking, well, actually, we haven't got that away goal. And obviously, if we go back to ours and have a one or a two all, then we go out. So I just quite like the kind of inner debate that happens in in the mentality of a team. And again, I think that is interesting tactically. Yeah, that deba- I remember those that debate around two particular ties in recent years. So Liverpool by Munich, nil-nil last year. There was It was a really actually a really entertaining nil-nil, a lot of good chances and really high quality game. But no one was really quite sure. And the second leg was really intriguing. And then obviously, I think it was that Mane goal that broke the deadlock, which which kind of opened up the game. Uh, And then the United Severe one a couple of years ago, where I think De Gea kept United in the game. And it seemed like United had got a great nil-nil result away Mm. from home, but actually they went on to, to lose at home. And I agree, it can kind of almost heighten the tension going into the second leg. I'm interested to know as well, Omar, is it is it hard to know definitively who it favours, I'm talking about the first leg, nil-nil, based on historic data, I suppose, because there is still a seeding aspect Mm. of these ties as well. I mean, as you've mentioned, that the difference between sides at knockout stage level is fairly minimal, but we are still looking at a a one seed, as they might say in the States, against a team that came runner-up in their group. So it wouldn't be quite as easy as just looking at what happens in second legs, well, therefore it favours the home team or the away side yeah you're right so you can look at quarterfinals and semi-finals to account for that or you can do some modeling to account for the quality of teams in more modern football nil nil is pretty much a leveler if you've got two teams that are roughly the same quality then nil nil in the first leg means that there's roughly a 50 50 chance of either team going through obviously if you go way back to when the away goals rule was first introduced in the 60s and 70s it would have given the away side from the first leg a much bigger advantage because home advantage was was much bigger. So it's actually become um, a bit of a level over time. I'm going to be celebrating any first leg nil-nils from now on to the end of the season in in the Champions League and the Europa League. What about this one? The away goals rule gives too much of an advantage to away teams in extra time. Well, that kind of contradicts the general idea. I mean, to start with, it contradicts the general idea that you're better off playing your second leg at home, which is what people, you know, people say, I don't mind if we get, you know, just hope we have a second leg at home. So if extra time comes into the equation and they also believe that, then that seems to contradict itself without even going into the stats. Yeah, and the stats support the view that it's it's actually an amazing level at the way goals rule in extra time. So you get roughly 50% of games that are nil-nil within the extra time period and therefore go to penalties. Um, yeah, you I mean, get- even anecdotally, extra time 
these days, by which I mean the last few years off the top of my head, it doesn't feel as exciting as it should be, yeah. that extra period, because more often than not, it seems to be a bit of a damp squib. So, yeah, exactly. Roughly half the time it goes straight to penalties, uh, nil-nil draw, which, you know, isn't isn't what anyone really signs up to. And, that, and that's the nature, I think, if you look at when, particularly in European competitions, when these games are being played, they're being played in February, March, April, May, where players are tired, it's the end of the season, uh, you're going for cups, you tend to become a bit more risk-averse, uh, and therefore you, you maybe hold back in extra time and settle for penalties. So again, if you look at the numbers, you've got half that go to penalties, roughly a quarter where the home team wins um, outright in extra time, and then the rest is made up of either a score draw in extra time, which sends the away team through, or the away team winning. So I don't think this was by design by any stretch um, by UEFA or whoever kind of first came up with the rule. But it is actually an amazing leveller yeah. um, in extra time. And it's actually a pretty good rule to have. So the idea that away teams have an advantage is a bit of a fallacy. And am I right or am I wrong that in away goals terms, it's actually the League Cup that really is at the, at the pinnacle of its away goal rules? Oh, well, it was. I mean, they've now done away with extra time, which, oh. um, you know, I always quite liked the confusion every year about whether away goals counted in extra time or not. So in the League Cup uh, previously, in the two-legged semi-finals, they didn't count after 90 minutes, but they then did count at the end of extra time. So you had some slightly confusing scenes over the years where teams weren't entirely sure of whether they'd progressed or not. I remember there was an Arsenal-Wigan semi-final where... I think Wigan were, didn't realise they'd gone through or, or something along those lines. But right, so uh, they've headed into extra time and then say it's one all in extra time yeah. then the away team would progress. Exactly. If, yeah. So if, if it's nil-nil in extra time, could a team go through because they were they'd, their scoreline counted from the normal time, if that makes sense? Yes, I think you're okay. right. Saying. Yeah, so yeah. it's not... Yes, yeah, then it's not quite worked as a leveller because no, the away team has the advantage. Yeah, so it's yeah. not just... Goals in extra time. Okay, right. If that makes sense. So if it's a nil-nil, yeah, and then a one-all, yeah, then the the one wouldn't count as an away goal until the end of extra time. Right, but you'd head into extra time knowing we just have to yeah, okay. defend with our lives. Exactly, here. which isn't a bad situation. I think you do, you do have some increased level of, uh, you know, onus on one side to attack and, yeah. and get a goal. Interesting. Okay, last statement I'll make to you, and it does feel like this after a defeat. The away goals rule, it's just not fair. Oh my, it's not fair. Yeah, and look, I, I kind of get that, but I also think, you know, unfairness is a is a part of sport and it's one of the best parts of football. Um, football is the lowest scoring sport there is. It's the most random sport there is. You know, it's one of the very few sports where a team can absolutely batter the opposition and end up losing. You just don't see that in tennis or basketball or any other sport. Uh, and so you could argue that's unfair and you could argue lots of things about football are unfair. And, I, and this to a degree is just another one of those things that makes it a bit more random and for a neutral, a little bit more fun. The only time I've really felt it wasn't fair was Champions League semi-final 2003 between Milan and Inter. Of course, both games played at the same ground. <laughs> and I thought it really almost was potluck that, you know, one team was at home first and one team was at home second. I think second legs generally tend to be a little bit more open than the first legs. And it just so happened that it benefited Milan because the second game was uh, one all. That was Inter's home game and Milan's away goal counted for more. I know you can't change the rules just because the team's <laughs> playing the same stadium, but away goals, you know, being scored in your home stadium did feel a little bit difficult to accept for Inter, I guess. Now, athletic writer Adam Hurry of Football Clichés would not forgive me if I didn't mention the classic commentator's cliche as well. Michael, talk me through 
when there's an early goal in a second leg and because of the away goals situation, the lingering threat of away goals, the commentator says, well, funnily enough, it doesn't really change anything here. Yeah, so sometimes this situation can arise where, despite conceding a goal, in theory, a team's task doesn't really change. So a good example of this would be the 2014-15 Champions League uh, between Manchester City and Barcelona in the second round. The first game at the Etihad was City 1, Barcelona 2. Luis Suarez scored twice. So City go to the new Camp knowing that they have to score twice because if they win 1-0, Barcelona have scored two goals, two away goals. City have scored only one away goal. Barcelona will go through. However, Barcelona scored the first goal through Ivan Rakitic. So they went 3-1 up in the tie. So you then have a situation where City still need two goals. Okay, it's changed slightly because they need two goals to send it to extra time. You say it's changed slightly. I mean, Omar, it, it's fundamentally wrong that because the situation has changed. Previously, if they'd scored two goals, they would have just gone through. Now, even with two goals, they, will, they know they're going to have to do extra time at the very least. Yeah, but in a funny way, it's not really changed. They just have to get the two goals. So for them, you know, for every team, it's about just getting through to, through to as long as they can in the competition. That might just mean getting through to extra time. I feel like Clive Tilsey has joined us uh, in the room. Um, Omar, this is quite an impressive defence of away goals, I would say. Um, we've, we've swatted away some... Uh, critical statements we've we've shown them to be falsehoods in general let's talk about some of the reasons why you think this is a the right thing a good thing to have and worth keeping at uh, first of all extra time we touched on it earlier does the away goal rule reduce the chance of extra time yeah absolutely so i mean if you look at the amount of games that are decided by the away goals rule if you scrapped it overnight you'd see the amount of games going to extra time roughly double, potentially even more, because you get this loss aversion where teams will probably double down in, in drawn game states. Um, and we discussed it earlier. I just think extra time periods just aren't that interesting, particularly given the fatigue of the players. The fourth sub rule change actually might make a slight difference to that, hopefully over the, over the coming years. Um, but even then, more than half of extra time periods go to penalties. And, and you almost feel robbed in an extra time period where there's a really late goal where you think you're getting penalties. <laughs> and that's almost worse, yeah. a worse outcome. So in a way, I think anything that can prevent an extra time period. And if you go back to what the away goals rule was originally designed for, again, it's a tiebreaker. It's a way of splitting teams in the best possible way. Yes, there's the away goals element, but it's really about splitting teams and and it's, in this case, splitting teams to avoid extra time, which, which I would say is, is, is a good thing. And to avoid a coin toss as well. And Michael, from a drama perspective, I mean, anecdotally, I can think of a fair few big swings off the top of my head. But it, it does create this scenario where one goal really does have a bigger impact, more value, if you will. Yeah, which is something that is lacking if you like from a normal game of football I mean it kind of goes back to what uh, you know Lineker's criticism that a goal shouldn't be worth more than another but actually that sometimes really brings the drama I mean you can look at other sports I mean for example there's a situation in cricket for example where a wicket or a run on the last ball can change from one side winning to the other side winning it's not just from a win to a draw and there's other situations where or other sports I should say where because goals or points are worth a different amount basketball for example because teams can be on a an uneven kind of margin if that makes sense you can go from a last minute dunk going from 
one side went into the other side winning and you do then have that coming into the equation in football and there's various examples of I think the most dramatic mm. European nights over the last few years that have depended on the away goal not because it's been nil nil and then a you know one nil but because it's completely swung from one side going through to the other side going through yeah it's, it's about it's about that emotional swing really um that you just don't get in league football as, as you said you can go from a draw to a win or or a loss to a draw in, in league football but having that that big swing is is important and i think you know if you talk about for example var um limiting the ability to celebrate goals for example which i know is something michael you're quite hot on the away goals will actually give it's kind of the flip side of that where you get an even increased chance to celebrate a goal because suddenly from despair mm. you're into complete joy and, and you got this contrast as well with, with the away fans in the ground. So I think that's that's something to be celebrated. Although now you will still have to wait for potential VAR <laughs> check. True. Um, just remind me of some of the iconic goals, examples where this really has taken shape, mm. taken form. We just have to look to last year, to be honest. Um, you know, Lucas Moura's winner against uh, Ajax in a non-away goals rule scenario that just would have been a goal that sends you into extra time but that that shot of Mora celebrating the Ajax players just kind of face down on the pitch is one of the iconic shots I think of of recent Champions League football and I think at the time no one really cared that it was decided by the away goals rule because everyone kind of accepted it was a rule and it was it was much more dramatic for it and again last season Spurs were the beneficiaries of that VAR incident with Raheem Sterling where one minute they thought they were going through, then they thought they were out, then they thought they were through. I mean, that just doesn't really happen in, in normal football. That heady mix of VAR and the away goals rule. Um, also, Costas Manolas's famous goal for Roma against Barcelona. Iniesta, of course, against Chelsea uh, as well. A few other thoughts from Yomar about why you think this helps to improve knockout football? One of the things the away goals rule does, as I say, it means that you have less of a chance of two teams being what statisticians in football call a level game state. And if you actually look at the numbers, one of the things that our team back at 21st Club have done is tried to model the impact of different game states and what it has on scoring. Uh, and what you see is that if a game is level, the actual total goals rate drops accounting for everything else. So the quality of the teams, the location and so on. Um, so if a game is nil-nil with 10 minutes left, it's much less likely to have a goal in the next 10 minutes than a game that's one nil with 10 minutes left. And the reason for that is basically loss aversion. So anyone who's read Daniel Kahneman's books on how people respond to gains and losses will, will know about this. So if I, Ali, if I told you, or rather if I try to quantify the pleasure you get from earning £50 versus the pain you get from losing £50, you'd probably say, well, the, the pain of losing £50 is, is worth more than gaining £50. Uh, and you see this in football. And, and in a case where teams are level, what you find is that both teams are scared of losing, basically. They're, they're scared of that. They have that loss aversion and that, that pain of loss. So they both play slightly more negatively. But the moment you have one team that has to attack and has essentially nothing to lose, that, that common football phrase, suddenly the game becomes more interesting. And you actually see this in the data as well, that there are more goals at a high rate of goals, not just actually for the team that's trying to get back into the game, but also the team that's staying in it, as it were. So I think in general, what you tend to find is more open games, more entertaining games and less of that stalemate that you might get from, from league football. I think there's some interesting examples as well where ties seem to be over very early and then one away goal can really bring it back to life. So an example of this is 2004-05 between Bayern and Arsenal, I think in the second round stage. Bayern went 3-0 up in the home leg and you're thinking, well, Arsenal really, they're going to have to go back to Highbury as it was then and win 3-0 and then 
win the extra time period to go through, which seems very unlikely. Then they scored a very late away goal through Colatore, and suddenly there's a situation where actually it's only 2 0 Arsenal need to win the tie in the second leg. They only actually managed 1 0 in the second leg, but there was that tension mm. and intrigue throughout the second leg. And I guess the, the mentality changes. I think we all think to ourselves, oh, a 2 0 win, that's that is achievable and we'll go through with that. It, it might actually, Omar, and I'm sure this is part of a lot of work that you guys do, that the mentality, the psychology of it probably outweighs the statistical probability of it at times. But that can be also quite a powerful thing heading into a second leg, just having that extra bit of, of hope, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. I think as a, you know, if you strip it all back, football's an entertainment business and you're trying to make people have fun watching the games. And I think particularly in the Champions League now, we actually have quite a big gap between first legs and second legs and ensuring there's this kind of narrative and intrigue that remains um, going to, to the second leg can be could be a huge benefit. Now, there, there are, Michael, you said earlier, there are ties that are ruined to a degree by the away goals rule, but there, there's an upside there, I think, of, of including it where you do get those, those heightened, that heightened drama. And let's say UEFA, the rule makers, didn't agree with your stance, the pro away goal stance, the pro knife edge knockout football stance. Were they to scrap that, Omar, what would be alternatives? What would they be ultimately looking to do? What would they be looking to replace it with? Yeah, well, it's a good question. So I think the default position would be just to go to extra time. And I think football would be worse for that. And, you know, I spoke about the upsides and downsides. I think if you scrap the away goals rule, you would have fewer games ruined by the away goals rule. You know, I still like the idea of having some kind of tiebreaker when teams are level that encourages one team to attack for the reasons I mentioned earlier and that football is just a bit more interesting when one team has to attack. Um, so you could go, certainly in the round of 16 or even later in the tournament, the team that had a better group stage record um, goes through by default, which will encourage the, the weaker team to continually attack. Uh, you could have something like whoever scores the earliest goal across two legs um, goes through, which might encourage attacking football early in games rather than cagey starts to games. Um, but essentially, I think you need something there that encourages a team to attack and encourages a team to essentially open up a game because otherwise a lot of ties I think will just drift towards nil nils and stalemates and extra time well I mean I pushed you for alternatives now I feel like both of those would cause complete carnage uh, across world football uh, Michael in summary we're pretty pro away goals it turns out I mean I, I'm not sure I had a stance particularly before this pod but from yourself and Omar uh, staunch supporters that this is the right way of doing things yeah, I think so. I think it's one of those things where people only tend to notice when it kind of ruins games rather than adds to them. And uh, yeah, it's quite rare that you have an example of, you know, I guess because it's so dramatic, you want to focus on the drama. But for example, that Iniesta goal against Chelsea or the Tottenham Ajax, you very rarely get anyone saying, oh, the best thing about that game was the away goals rule. But in a way it is. It's what created the drama. It's what created the, you know, such a decisive goal towards the end. And I don't think, I mean, we've addressed the arguments earlier, but for me, the one argument that people used to put forward the most was that it creates negative football. Well, I just don't think that applies to the Champions League, not necessarily because of the away goals, uh, or the away goals rule, sorry, but just because of the nature of where football's gone. I don't think you can really look at Champions League knockout stages and say, this is really dreary, we need more excitement. You know, maybe 10, 15 years ago when it was, 
you know, constant nil-nils, one-nils in, in the semi-finals, you could make that argument. But the Champions League has just been tremendous drama in the past few years. And I can't really see why you'd want to, you know, fiddle with the rules unnecessarily. The away goals ultras, Omar Chowdhury, thank you so much for giving us your, your expertise, just giving us some real thoughtfulness in a, a debate that has been lacking thoughtfulness, I think. Thanks very much for coming and joining us. Thank you very much for having me. And Michael, another episode of the Zonal Marking podcast that just continues to delight listeners, presenters <laughs> and regular guests uh, alike. Let's hope so. I've enjoyed focusing on rules the last couple of podcasts. So yeah, maybe more of where that came from. Well, let's see what comes next week. A new topic, a new tactical trend, perhaps a team in focus, a manager, a player. Who knows? We do it all on the Zonal Marking podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast and you'd like to explore the athletic further, well, of course, there's a stable of club-specific podcasts and more general ones like ours as well. You can listen to all the athletic podcasts for free on any podcast platform that takes your fancy. You can also listen to them ad-free on the athletic app. Of course, podcast really just a side hustle for us because the writing is where it's really at and such an amazing group of football writers but also those in the states who cover american sports that's all covered with a subscription to the athletic if you want to give it a go today head to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking you'll get 40 percent off your annual subscription you'll be able to find everything that michael's writing about tactics about squad numbers and everything in between and please do join us next week make sure you're subscribed to the zonal marking podcast brought to you by the athletic <laughs>